I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Round Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Round Podcast for May 15th, 2009, and we respond to a listener question asking us to look at the future of Buddhism. So we got another question on our website um, that asked us to speculate on the future of Buddhism in America, specifically um, in the year 2109. Uh, Harry and I are a little hesitant to speculate that far into the future, but we did want to talk about some current trends and some current issues in Buddhism, uh, particularly in North America, um, and think about a few years down the road. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> the turn of the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> oh, and part of, part of what's happening is this uh, question you raised in our last episode um, about Nembutsu practice and the um, right. decline of Nembutsu practice uh, in Japan and also in the States and, and what that might mean. Right, right. Um, I was fortunate to uh, live in Kyoto for a summer about 10 years ago. And then uh, also when I was studying at Ryukoku for two or three years. So one of the things you can do when you're um, in Kyoto is go to Nishihonganji for the morning uh, service, Ojinjo it's called, uh, 6 a.m. They, they bump it up to 6.30 in the wintertime and recite uh, Shoshinge, or actually you chant uh, first in front of the Amida image and the Amida Do, you do um, Sambutsuge or just a sutra, then move over to the Shinran uh, the Goedo, the Shinran Hall, and chant Shoshinge, Wasans, Nembutsu, uh, listen to a Dharma talk, and then a, uh, I'm sorry, a Gobunsho, and then a Dharma talk, one of Renyo's letters. And it's great because, it, well, a lot of people come from other parts of the country, but when you go every day, you see these regulars that are there a lot, or you see, you begin to see the same people. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that really struck me as a uh, relatively new follower 10 years ago, being in Japan, was that you would hear these people just spontaneously, namanda, 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 you know, nothing was happening. It hadn't started yet, and there were namanda, namanda, people just spontaneously saying the nembutsu, saying namu amitabutsu, in its kind of abbreviated form. And you would even... Um, it would happen during the service. It would happen in between sections when everyone thinks they're supposed to be quiet. The namanda, namanda. And sometimes you'd see these visitors from other parts like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> so it was great for me seeing that, aha, uh -huh, this isn't normal to other Japanese people, first of all. Right, right, right. But then that I think here at Honzan, the kind of the center of, of uh, Jodo Shinshu in Japan, uh, that there was still this tradition and these people were... Like were spontaneous... Yeah, this just spiritual expression recitation yeah, yeah. of the name. Uh, How cool. Fast forward, what, seven years or so to when I went back for, for um, grad school. And this is anecdotal, but I really <laughs> think there was a lot less of that. And whereas before there was maybe like several people or a bunch of people doing that, now you maybe got one or two. And there might have just been one person saying it throughout the whole time. Uh, but it just seemed to me much, much less. Right. And that it was only happening now during the prescribed periods. When uh, they're supposed to say it. Well, I wouldn't say supposed to, but that, you, yeah, within the ritual that like uh, before chanting the... Um, the, the ministers put their hands together and recite the name, as so everyone does. Uh, and then, yeah, at the end, 
They'll say gasho, and that means put your hands together in gasho and recite the name. And then they say rai hai, and everyone bows together. So there are these kind of set times uh, that that are maybe the only times now that uh, you hear people saying that. Um, so, and it's very much like that here in the states, right? Even I mean, yeah, even, even less worse. so here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that you almost never hear uh, lay people reciting the name spontaneously, and it gets to the point where even uh, you only really hear it in this call and response style, uh, re- repeating it after the minister says it, and it's usually three times, so that the minister is Namo Amida Butsu. Yeah, everyone right, knows yeah, right. now it's time Namo Amida Butsu, minister Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Butsu, right? Yeah. And that that's this call and response, and that's the only time that people uh, recite it. Often. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like occasionally you'll hear somebody sort of like trail off there after those first right, three right, right, times, right, right. you know, mutter it a few times more. Right, right. But, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah, but it's not that sort of spontaneous. I don't know, almost like gospel Pentecostal jumping yeah, up yeah, out of yeah, your yeah, seat, yeah. screaming it. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, depends on the temple. Depends yeah. on the yeah. minister that's there. Depends on the people there. Depends on the traditions that that temple has. Uh, but for the most part, I, you know, sometimes you you go to a service like when I would do memorial services. If it was a, a family that comes a lot. When I say Namo Amida Butsu, they recite it back in a confident voice. But sometimes you have one, I'll say Namo Amida Butsu and nothing. This family <laughs> doesn't come to church. They don't know right. that that's part of the life of Joro Shinshu, of reciting the name. Even to the point that they don't even know to, re- to repeat it. Or they're not comfortable repeating it. That might be another one. That they don't go to church, so it's not normal. It's not, you know, it's uncomfortable even. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, um, looking ahead, I... I don't know, you know, um, uh, walking down, I mean, I think traditionally in Japan it would be something you would say walking down the street, something you would say in the middle of the day, something you would say at, at any time. Uh, here in America, I don't know if, if, if that will happen. Will it ever, has it ever been like that? Will it become like that again? Yeah, um, it probably hasn't been like that. I mean, except maybe the Issei, maybe the, the, the first generation might have done it, but they may not have wanted to do it feeling like they don't want to stand out. I don't right. know. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. 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 Speculating on that same, you know, a hundred years ago, you know, the Issei people might not have wanted to stand out. Right. See, so nowadays you could get away with it because all you need is a, a Bluetooth earpiece, <laughs> and then you can pretty much say anything, and people are like, ah, he's just talking on the phone, right? right? <laughs> but in the old days, yeah, why are they mumbling to themselves? Yeah. They must be, you know, there must be something wrong with them if they're saying, naman, 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 if you hear this kind of Yeah, you're mumbling. a crazy person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, so yeah. that's one thing that I, um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, well, see, this is interesting, because I think this gives us a, a thing, to, a, a chance to sort of reflect on what's happening right now and to be aware of these sorts of issues and how the practice is changing yeah. for us to sort of think about the future yeah. and in the direction we want to take our own traditions. It's interesting because if you think, well, what, let's say we want to create a Jodo Shinshu culture where people are comfortable saying it. And it's kind of like you have to train people, yeah, indoctrinate absolutely. them even, oh, yeah, right? Absolutely. And so it's so weird that it's supposed to be spontaneous, but you have to train to say it spontaneously. <laughs> Right, you have to get That's comfortable saying it. That's why they call it practice. It. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's um, maybe it's something we need to address more um, explicitly or directly uh, on various levels within the BCA. Yeah. Um, and but and then also for non-BCA people too that are interested in Jodo Shinshu, um, to to you know become comfortable uh, reciting the name and. Well, we're com- com- comfortable doing any sort of public expression of 
a Buddhist practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's another way to look at that, right? I think like the broad spectrum of the Buddhism in America, Buddhism is very much something you do like most other religious practices. It's something you do privately, something mm-hmm. you do at home or in a church or in a temple, but it's not something you sort of do, like you were saying, walking down the street, you know. I don't know if we necessarily should be walking down the street publicly displaying our Buddhism or religion in general. Maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. That's a whole other debate. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think we have to sort of be aware of the larger cultural context that we're in and that people don't generally do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if a Pentecostal Christian was walking down the street speaking in tongues, I think most of us would think he was a crazy person. <laughs> but within the safety of a Pentecostal Christian church, that's totally normal, accepted behavior. Mm-hmm. So... Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Part of the reflection on the current state and future of American Buddhism has to do, I think, with these larger social issues. Mm-hmm. What else did we want to talk about? <laughs> I think those larger social issues. Okay. <laughs> that was my transition. Your, oh, I ruined it. Here. I'll edit that out later. <laughs> no, you won't. You always <laughs> say that. <laughs> Um, but I think that I think that's one of the things we did want to to touch on. I know that we had talked sort of uh, previously about thinking about if we were alive in 1909 and speculating on 21 uh, 2009. Um, there was so much that happened in the last hundred years that really had an effect on Buddhism in America that you couldn't have foreseen. You know, issues with uh, the Japanese internment during World War II, issues with. Uh, war in Southeast Asia and how that created a whole new wave of immigrants to this country, immigration laws, uh, new technology, so on and so forth. All of these things had a huge impact that you couldn't have predicted. So I think we could try to speculate on the next century, but who knows? (laughs) Who knows what bizarre things are going to happen or already have happened and have affected Buddhism in in different ways Mm -hmm. just recently. Um, You know, I, I, I don't know how much things like 9-11 have affected tourism or travel from East Asia, but I think that immigration has become much more difficult mm-hmm, mm-hmm. since 9-11. Mm-hmm. So that might have an effect, right? Right, right, right. Down the line. Right. Who knows? You're just thinking about like the Japanese-American experience and that um, what a strange set of circumstances with yeah. the Tokugawa period being isolationist and then the Perry and the black ships and cracking Japan open and then uh, all that immigration that happened during the Meiji period from certain areas of Japan, like Hiroshima, right, were right. happened to be strong Jodo Shinshu areas. Yeah, and they and they and as my understanding, they, they immigrated because they were really hurt by a bad economy and a bad uh, growing season. Mm. So what if a different part of Japan had been right. hurt? just as hard or worse right. than a different kind of Japanese Buddhism could have come to the United States. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And then the internment, internment of course, yeah. um, was another thing that's totally built around all these different circumstances of the whole relationship between America and Asia, uh, United States and Asia, I should say. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of those issues are not, <laughs> they're just as complicated. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, one, one, I think, key area to think about is Tibet. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, Tibet, Tibetan Buddhism or forms of Tibetan Buddhism are extremely popular in the States right now. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's the sort of more traditional four major schools of Tibetan Buddhism or the Shambhala, which is sort of a new Tibetan, quasi-Tibetan movement. Um, they're, they're, they're fairly popular, but the actual number of ethnic Tibetans in this country is really small. Mm-hmm. It's really small compared to other Asian immigrant groups. 
Um, so you can imagine what would happen if things went really south in Tibet, then mm-hmm. caused an even larger exodus of people. You know, if tens or hundreds of thousands of Tibetans came to this country, I think that would radically change the way that you know non-Tibetans understand Tibetan Buddhism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that would really change Tibetan Buddhism in this country. Wow, yeah. Who knows how what that would look like? Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? Yeah, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Um, and our questioner also had a sort of interesting question about Her Holiness, the 16th Dalai Lama, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is an interesting thing to speculate, not only the sort of, you know, the gender issues in there, but I also think it's interesting to think about the fact that there might not be a Dalai Lama. Uh, right. Yeah. Right, I there mean, might be two Dalai Lamas. Exactly. Because, you know, the, the Chinese government is, is already talking about naming the current Dalai Lama successor. But you know that the Dalai, the, the Tibetan diaspora community is going to name their own Mm -hmm. that's going to complicate things and it's definitely going to complicate things here in the states Mm -hmm. you know this is all quite apart from the very weird political relationship the united states government has with the government of china (laughs) Mm -hmm. ah it's a mess yeah (laughs) Yeah. where do you go with that (laughs) yeah (laughs) we'll have to wait and see i mean the the um the dalai lama is just such an incredible figure uh, and I don't know if I even realized it. I mean, things have changed a lot in the past 10 years, right? But, I mean, he just continues to be a powerful figure uh, that I think many, many people look up to. Uh, I was thinking the other day, I've, I've been talking about him a lot lately in my Dharma talks, and um, the fact that he brings forth a Buddhist message of peace, and yet he was heavily influenced by Mohandas K. Gandhi and uh, Martin Luther King Jr., too, in this right. idea of nonviolence. Um, so he's just a... F- fantastically interesting figure I think right and that he represents this incredibly arcane school of Buddhism and yet has brought also brought forth a, a I think a, a new uh, understanding and visibility to Buddhism on uh, the past 20 30 years or whatever 40 years right um, definitely yeah and but then all the politics that are yeah. are wrapped up in it yeah and, and who knows what will happen when he passes right, right and right. if somebody that charismatic and that sort of unifying, because that's the other thing, right? The, the, the current Dalai Lama is such a unifying figure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the Tibetan diaspora really revolves around him. Mm-hmm. In the absence of him, what will happen? Right, right, right. It could go in a lot of different directions. I'm not, I'm uncomfortable speculating on this because this is yeah, an area yeah, yeah, of yeah. speculation. I don't, <laughs> I don't know a ton a lot, mm-hmm. a ton a lot about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but well, I think mm-hmm. go on. I, I think we can think more about uh, schools that are already here and well-established in the States and, mm-hmm. and sort of current trends within various American Buddhisms. Mm-hmm. I like using the plural. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I went to Spokane, Washington this past week, and uh, there's a BCA temple up there uh, with a pretty interesting history, and uh, their makeup is very different than a lot of the temples that I've been to. Uh, uh, mostly on the West Coast, but uh, I think that their Japanese American population has really uh, shrunk, hmm. and that there are not a lot of young uh, Japanese Americans there. And so, at one point, they were going to shut the temple down. Um, it caught fire, and the original temple burned. And they managed to save a lot of the stuff from the Nijin, apparently. And so, they the the um, Japanese Americans decided we want to rebuild the temple, but they had thought about not. Hmm. And so they rebuilt it. Uh, but now, just you know, judging from when I went and guest spoke for Hanamatsuri this past weekend, um, their congregation is like ninety percent 
non-Japanese. Wow, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's um, that's unusual. I would say maybe eighty percent Caucasian, uh, another ten percent other um, uh, non-Japanese ethnicities, and then there were some uh, Nikkei, the Japanese Americans there. Huh. Um, but my impression too is that often the Nikkei don't come, uh, just because it's changed. It's not the temple isn't doing what it originally what it used to do. Um, of, of um, ministering to the needs of the Japanese Americans, and in this case, like second generation that still speak Japanese, right? Right. right. They don't have services in Japanese. Right. 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 Yeah. There's no one there can give um, Japanese Dharma talk or anything. So, so, but the the thing to me with that I felt was that, and I told this to the minister's assistant there that, um, in a way, I think that's this Spokane Temple. Uh, we're going to be looking. Other temples in BCA are going to be looking to them to see what they did. And look at the choices that they made, because that's the, that's what's happening to um, other temples, even here in the urban areas. So even though there are Japanese Americans um, in um, fairly significant numbers here, so still supporting like the Oakland Church in my case or whatever, um, that's changing. Right. Right. That the the numbers keep shrinking, and the number is vastly smaller now than it was uh, 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, less than half, I think. Um, so there's this massive change that's happening. So, yeah, speculating on what's going to happen in BCA, I think, is very, very difficult. Um, but there's already a move away from, certainly away from Japanese language, that even in a overwhelmingly uh, Japanese-American temple like Oakland, uh, is 90% English, 95% English, uh, not excluding sutra chanting or whatever, but like the Dharma talks are, yeah. um, are mainly in English. But that's partly due to the fact that I'm not a native Japanese speaker. <laughs> um, but, you know, we still try to get... Um, guest speakers to speak Japanese um, to people that want to hear that, but not every week for sure. Do you sure. guys have a Japanese language school? Yes. Hmm. Uh, with a very archaic name. The <laughs> Nippongo Gakuen. <laughs> now we say Nihongo. Yeah, right? yeah, Nippongo yeah. is kind of the archaic pre-war pronunciation. Um, but it's been going since before World War II. Uh, That's yeah, why. Yeah, so part yeah. of me wants to change it. Part of me wants to say, let's update this to Nihongo Gakko. Right, the the more normal modern day. The other one to me is kind of like, I don't know. But then part of me is like, it's kind of cool. Nippongo <laughs> Gakuen. Right? It's got that history to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So huh. I'm a, I'm you know, split on that. But yeah, so people are actually interested in Japanese language now again, and Japanese American kids, but non-Japanese people too are taking the classes, and they have an adult class in the evening. Oh really? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go. Yeah, you should. You should <laughs> sign up. It's right near your house. I need that little refresher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's interesting, but but it's not native speakers, right? It's not people who whose native language is Japanese and who are English as a second language, mm. you know, who are who are um, taking the classes. So interesting. Yeah. So language, ethnicity, all that stuff is going to have a uh, um, big effect on on um, the future. BCA, certainly. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think Buddhism in America more generally. Yeah. You know, that's it, it's interesting that you say that about the um, the the Spokane Temple because mm-hmm. it, you know. So often, religion in America is very ethnically specific. You know, there's white churches and black churches, and mm-hmm. you know, Thai temples and Japanese temples, and and you know, all these different very ethnically homogenous sort of groups. But uh, that one temple is transcending that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by necessity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But- so I, you know, and that makes me wonder what the you know, the sort of larger sociopolitical issues in this country, you know, what direction we're going in, you know, mm-hmm. are we becoming more heterogeneous and our temple is going to be shifting the demographics? I mean, you can see some of that in other groups. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about the Berkeley Buddhist monastery a lot. Mm-hmm. 
the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery is, I think, usually considered a Chinese-American Buddhist group, but you wouldn't know it. I mean, if you go to the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery, the abbot is uh, the Reverend Hung Shur, but he's a Caucasian convert. Mm-hmm. All of their uh, head lead uh, head leaders and, and, and teachers and whatnot are white folks. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that there's this more heterogeneous model of different communities. So I wonder, you know, if, yeah. we'll, if that will increase or if people will, uh, you know, retreat back into their own little ethnic enclaves, mm-hmm. regardless of whether they're, you know, what ethnicity they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Cause that seems to be the norm in a lot of other religions in America. Right. I mean, even in, uh, in, in Catholicism, right. There's Irish Catholic churches and Italian Catholic uh, churches. Yeah. And, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. Yeah, Something yeah, to think about. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Cause part of the reason why I went up for the, to Spokane was to speak for the, um, I give a public lecture too as part of their Japan Week <laughs> celebration that they have every year. Oh yeah. And um, so I talked about Buddha, but then I was asked, um, "Could you relate it to Japan?" Right. So I thought, okay, I got to think about that. But um, it's interesting because Buddhism has always has a profound impact on the cultures it goes into: Central Asia, China, yeah, yeah. wherever, Japan, uh, Tibet, whatever, America. Canada, you know, that it does have uh, an effect on the cultures it goes into, and yet it is also profoundly influenced by the cultures it goes into, so that Chinese Buddhism, quote-unquote, begins to have its own flavor, Japanese Buddhism has its own flavor, um, and, you know, obviously there are distinctions within, too, but, but in a general sense, I think that we see this influence on the culture, but also influenced by the culture. Uh, and I think... I'll go out on a limb and I say that I think that there is an aspect to Buddhism that maybe transcends culture and that it, 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 it um, addresses the truth, true reality itself, something beyond the distinctions um, of our, of our um, samsaric world. Uh, but I think it's also important to recognize and maybe even celebrate uh, both the, the cultural influence that it brings with it, whether it's Japanese Buddhism or Sri Lankan or whatever, uh, but also that it can develop in a culture too, in a new area. So that uh, BCA is very different than Nishihonganji in Japan. Yeah, right? yeah. And that, um, that I think as long as we're aware of all these influences, um, you can't control it even if you wanted to, right? Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> so, so this idea, this issue of ethnicity, right? And, you know, what role does Japanese culture play in temples? Some people want to get rid of that stuff, right? right. A lot of people think, oh, no, we're, we're Buddhism. We're not Japanese. We're not a Japanese cultural center, right? We're a Buddhist temple. But I, I heard, again, anecdotal, but I heard a, a survey that someone did uh, here at the Berkeley Buddhist Temple, and a lot of the members who aren't Japanese really like the Japanese sides, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. That makes sense to me. <laughs> As long as we're aware of it, as long as I think it's all, um, is not, we're not getting confused. Confused between? That um, the, the, um, I think there was confusion before, and the, still, that the, the temple is where kids go to play basketball. Asian kids, or Japanese American kids go to play basketball. And that's what the church is for. Yeah. It's a Japanese <laughs> cultural center, basically. Right, that right. was, I think, more of a problem um, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, uh, it's, I, I think we've kind of shifted in another direction now where um, people recognize that, no, we're, we want we're this Buddhist. Buddhism for our yeah. kids so they have some um, different perspective on the world, not just the purely secular, right. um, uh, capitalist, American kind of view. That, um, Damn with capitalism. 
Well, that's uh, that's interesting what you say about Buddhism affecting culture, because that's one of the other issues we can speculate on, right, mm-hmm. is that I think that even though Buddhists in this country are an extreme minority, Buddhist ideas are definitely permeating the broader culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I wonder, this is something I think about every once in a while about religion in general in this country, is that it seems like religious ideas and practices sort of go beyond these institutions, right? That there are plenty of people in this country who believe in religious ideas, whether it's heaven or God or an afterlife or whatever, or karma or, you know, the Buddha or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. but never go to a temple. They never go to church. Right. They have no religious affiliation, right. Right. you know, but they, or, you know, increasingly there's people like Thomas Tweed calls them nightstand Buddhists, right? Mm-hmm. People who might meditate or practice yoga or do these practices that used to be strictly religious or spiritual, but completely devoid of any sort of community mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. divorce from any sort of community or, or larger religious context. Right. So I wonder, like, will that increase? Right. Will right. 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 religion become more diffused, right? Mm-hmm. And if so, like, if that happens, what happens to the institutions? Right, right. Right? If more people are, are sort of in a vague religious general spiritual sort of sense, right, still believing in religious ideas, but they never go to church, never go to temple, what happens to the churches and temples? <laughs> but is it still religion? Is it still Buddhism? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a huge issue in BCA for sure. And with, um, uh, I, I spoke at this techno-Buddha thing, which was for um, kids like 21 to 39. So this kind of group that up until recently disappeared. Right? And I've probably talked about it before. After they graduate from high school, they disappear. And they're no longer a part of the temple life except maybe once a year for bazaar or something. Mm-hmm. And that... Uh, they just kind of let them go, and maybe they'll come back, right? And that it seems to me that the internet has, and social networking sites, right, has changed the playing field, right? And that things are really different now, and that um, uh, these kids who did go to Dharma school are kind of keeping in touch in the sense of being fellow Buddhists, right? And they may not have to be from the same temple, that there's cross-pollination from all different areas on the West Coast anyway. Yeah. Um, so really interesting that there's like a cohesion now that I don't think was there 10 years ago. But one of the weird things about it is that it's really ethnic. <laughs> that a lot of these kids are Japanese-American. Uh, some of them might be Hapa, right? But overwhelmingly, these, this group of 44 people was like, I would guess, 80%, 90% Japanese-American, which is weird. It blows my mind. It's like these ethnic issues are still coming through and with technology and, and the... the um, the, the um, communication aspect and allowing people to stay in touch um, is just, uh, I think we're going to see a different picture is emerging already. Um, and But I think that that will have an effect, and yet that contributes to that diffusion, mm-hmm. right? That if these kids do stay in touch and do consider themselves Buddhist, but don't support their local temple, right? then the temple's numbers are going to continue to go down. Yeah. And so, but, you know, BCA maybe needs to address that too, that we need to um, address a kind of more diffuse internet community of, of Buddhists. And are we going to force them to participate in the temple model? Or is something else going to develop where they can still be part of the organization, but the organization is not only the buildings, the temples, the bazaars, right. and that there's some meta cyber level to it? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I that bums me out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really, it actually really concerns me. I know that there's plenty of people who, you know, like I've read people who say that I don't care if Buddhism survives, 
Mm-hmm. Like I just want the Buddhist teachings to survive, or mm-hmm. you know that. Mm-hmm. And what they mean by Buddhism is they mean the they mean the institution, you know, the right, institution right, right, of right, religion. Right. Like right. institutions are bad. You know, mm-hmm. I want to maintain the teachings, the Dharma, mm-hmm. but you know, we're not so much concerned about these these temples or churches. Um, that kind of worries me. Mm-hmm. That attitude, it kind of, it huh? really kind of worries me because to me it seems like, yeah, institutions can be abused or be abusive or be filled with bureaucracy or there could be weird ego trips going on inside and all the other kinds of problems that you have with an institution. But an institution also allows a space in which people can practice. Mm-hmm. They create a space in which people can learn about the Dharma, right? And if you get rid of an institution, how do you perpetuate the how do you perpetuate the Buddhist teachings? How do you perpetuate the Dharma mm-hmm. without an institution? So I think it's something to really think about. And yeah. you know, I I want to be clear that I'm not using institution here in terms of like a physical building. Because I think you're onto something. Like the institution might be a building, but not just a building, right? Like it might have other another structure that is not confined to a specific physical location mm-hmm. or geographic location, mm-hmm. you know, institution in a more sociological sense of the word. Mm-hmm. But I think we just need to think about what that institutional structure would be mm-hmm. to perpetuate these teachings into the future. Because mm-hmm. without the institution, sorry, there's not going to be any kind of Buddhist teachings. Right, 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 right. You know, it'll just be, t- it'll become too diffuse. It won't be right, right. noticeable. It won't be, you know, something you can point to and say, that's, that's Buddhism. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's not a bad thing. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe we're in the Dharma, the, the declining age of the Dharma, and we're all going to forget about Buddhism anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Maitreya will come back. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I can kind of envision maybe an internet division of um, the BCA mm-hmm. that um, somehow uh, is there so that people can stay in touch, and not only with each other, but through the institution in a way, right? But then also it could... Uh, provide resources so that people know where their local temple is and feel comfortable going to their local temple with the understanding that I don't have to join this temple, I don't have to pay dues, I don't have to volunteer every week for as a Dharma school teacher or something, that I can, I'm living my life and yet I'm still within the orbit of BCA. Um, That's you know? a great idea. <laughs> yeah, and I think that we need to um, take, be recognize this, right, and, and take the lead kind of in, in setting up. And, you know, it's hard because it, it's, it's a purely volunteer effort until money gets assigned to it and you have the time to, you know. Um, but, but I think that that's one possibility of something that's already happening in a grassroots level Yeah. within the BCA. Yeah, Yeah. you got to create the site, yeah. create the structure, yeah. Yeah. and then hopefully people will show up. Yeah. That's, a, that's the tricky part. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that was really interesting, huh? Some not really looking into the crystal ball, <laughs> but in a way, as being asked to look into the crystal ball and not really wanting to do that. But then the fact that it made us, um, and this you know came from Scott to then, well, a hundred years ago, could we have looked to now, right? And seeing that you know, who knows? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of a little too, um, I don't know, too speculative. And yet, um, looking at some of the trends today, and, which is important, um, yeah, and, to think and, about. The direction we want to take our communities, yeah, yeah, and maybe recognizing the reality of change, yeah, huh? That um, religious institutions do change. Some may be more conservative than others and try and um, arrest that process, but it's 
you know inevitable yeah yeah and especially with factors of of um, being in a different country and language and ethnicity and um, mass communication <laughs> right all of this stuff happens whether we can't control it right yeah. so I think maybe an awareness of change and and um, taking t- Every now and again, kind of taking stock, like, well, what's happening? What's different? Don't. Sometimes we cling too much to the past too, and say, "We tried that before, and it didn't work." And I was like, <laughs> "Well, it's not 20 years ago. It's now. Maybe right. we can try again and learn from the past. Don't ignore that yeah, problem. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, it's very it. important to look at yeah. to look at those, and even to look at the things that didn't work, and say, "Well, why didn't it work? And how can we do it differently mm-hmm. in these current circumstances mm-hmm. uh, for different purposes?" Yeah. So I'm not sure if we answered the question, but the, again, <laughs> we never do really. <laughs> yeah, the question uh, gave us some ideas and uh, uh, possibilities of uh, directions to look in. So keep sending them in. We appreciate it.